0: It's Wednesday, March 10th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Media companies and streamers are having to deal with what to do about problematic content on their platform. As they build their libraries of older movies and shows, they are experimenting with disclaimers, warnings, or removing content outright that could be deemed racist, sexist, or homophobic. Rebecca Keegan, Senior Film Editor at The Hollywood Reporter, joins us for how Hollywood is addressing it. Next, as vaccine distribution continues to ramp up, we are hearing about people resistant to getting the shot. A recent poll by the Kaiser Family Foundation says that nearly one-third of Republicans would not be getting the vaccine. Reasons range anywhere from side effects, being developed too quickly, and distrust of the government. Dan Diamond, reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for the upcoming messaging effort to get more people on board. Finally, the late-stage pandemic has been messing with our brains, and no one remembers how to be normal. As more people get their vaccines and states ease restrictions, it's raising hopes about getting back out there. But we're out of practice, and stress and boredom have been a strain on our brains. Ellen Cushing, Special Projects Editor at The Atlantic, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: Muppet Show Disney put disclaimers on, I think it's 19 episodes for different types of content. One is an episode where Johnny Cash is singing in front of a Confederate flag. Joining
0: us now is Rebecca Keegan, Senior Film Editor at The Hollywood Reporter. Thanks for joining us, Rebecca. Hi there. We've been hearing a lot about media companies and streaming companies. Having to start putting disclaimers, take out episodes all that might have some problematic content on it. And when I say problematic content... I'm talking about uh, maybe older movies, older episodes of shows that maybe predict stereotypes, homophobia. There's a bunch of different stuff. And we're seeing a lot of the big companies, Disney, Warner Media, holding meetings, deciding what to do with that content. And uh, it it runs the gamut. Like I said, some are just doing disclaimers, Some are just removing it completely. So, Rebecca, tell me a little bit about what these companies are doing to protect their brands and, and and try to maintain these libraries because they're so important to these streaming services to bolster the content that they have putting out there.
1: The libraries that these companies hold are the big advantages that they have over newcomers like Netflix or Apple. If you're Disney or Warner Brothers, you have 100 years of history that you can use to entice consumers to keep your audience looking at your streaming service, but with that 100 years of history comes racism, sexism, homophobia, you know, a bunch of forms of bias that were publicly acceptable when these old movies and shows were first created. So studios are doing a bunch of different things to try and address this issue. They don't necessarily want to throw out movies or shows entirely, although that has happened in some cases. They want to sometimes put disclaimers or maybe video warnings on some of the content. At both Disney and Warner Brothers, there are, excuse me, Warner Media, there are sort of advisory groups that get together. It's a combination of people who work at the studio and people from outside the studio at arts groups, advocacy groups, who look at the content and sort of make suggestions and decisions about how best to treat it. The companies are also using some interesting techniques. Artificial intelligence is one of the yeah. ways that they're examining their old content for potentially problematic or biased issues.
0: So tell me a little bit about some of the problematic content we've seen or some of the content that has gotten these disclaimers. We heard about the Muppet show. We heard about Gone with the Wind was particularly uh, very intensive with what they did with it. Tell me a bit, uh, about some of those examples.
1: Right. Well, with Gone with the Wind last summer during the protests that rose up after the police killing of George Floyd, a screenwriter, John Ridley, wrote a letter to the L.A. Times saying that HBO Max, which had just been launched for a few days, should temporarily at least take Gone with the Wind off its service. And Warner Media did so quite quickly. And they had Jacqueline Stewart, who is one of the hosts at Turner Classic Movies, which is also a Warner Media property, record a i think it's a 3 or 4 minute intro to run in front of the movie. So if you go to watch Gone with the Wind on HBO Max right now, it starts with Jacqueline Stewart's introduction and she talks about the sort of legacy of the film. She talks about how it romanticizes slavery. She talks about the fact that Hattie McDaniel, who was the first black actor to win an Oscar, was not allowed to attend the premiere for the film and how she was kind of mar- marginalized at the Oscar ceremony. So Stewart goes through the ways in which the movie reflected the racism of the era in which it was created and racism in Hollywood too. There are other examples like you brought up the Muppet Show with the Muppet Show Disney put disclaimers on I think it's 19 episodes for different types of content. One is an episode where Johnny Cash is singing in front of a Confederate flag. And then there are some places where studios are pulling the content entirely. For instance, Disney has, for years not shown its film Song of the South, which has not added to its streaming service and has no plans to add to its streaming service. And then there were blackface episodes of several TV shows that have been removed from circulation as well.
0: What are these companies doing when they hear about backlash to this? Because we hear a lot about cancel culture, you know, a lot of these buzzwords kind of coming up right now. What's their posture when it comes to things like that?
1: Yeah, in some ways, it's risky for companies to draw attention to their problematic content. In the case of Disney, when they put the warning labels on the Muppet show episodes on Disney+, it sparked a number of mocking news stories, particularly in conservative media. And those stories oftentimes drew attention to other problems for Disney. Like uh, uh, Senator Tom Cotton was interviewed about the Muppet show show Issue on, I think it was Fox and Friends, and he pointed out Disney's thanking of a government in China in the credits for Mulan that happened to be a government where Uyghur Muslims were being persecuted. So, in some ways, when a company sort of sticks its head up and owns the history of its content, it can then become a lightning rod for more controversy or more criticism.
0: And, you know, like, as I mentioned, I think it's important when you put things in context, you put these disclaimers, at least you call out things that haven't aged well, let's say, or just outright the wrongness of what was in those things. But at least you get to preserve the original work of it and uh, people can still be exposed to it. It could make more discussion even from it. So it, it, I think it's a good step for these media companies to get involved on this part of it. And, and you know, I know there's going to be the detractors with some of it, but I think it's still an important step. And uh, thankfully, a lot of them are taking these steps.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you figured the alternative might be for some of these shows or movies to go out of circulation entirely. I think a lot of people who are creative or work in the film and television industries would not want to see that happen. And what some sort of scholars that I spoke to feel is that to completely remove them from circulation doesn't solve the problem. You know, there there isn't suddenly no racism because you take a racist movie out of circulation. So if you are able to add context and sort of allow and help an audience to know what they're going to see, it probably makes it more likely that these movies will be able and shows will be able to stick around. And in some ways, it's not so different from the fact that we have a warning when a TV show is going to have smoking or when a movie has nudity or, Violence. Now you may see a warning that a an old movie has blackface in it, and people may get used to these warnings in time.
0: Rebecca Keegan, senior film editor at the Hollywood Reporter, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks, Oscar.
2: There are also many Republicans who simply don't trust the government. President Trump has worn down the reputations of people like Tony Fauci, other Republicans on television news like Fox have attacked the government response.
0: Joining us now is Dan Diamond, reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Dan.
2: Pleased to be here. Thank you.
0: We're seeing the vaccination efforts ramp up. We're all hoping to get to that herd immunity number of about seven to 85 percent of the population vaccinated. That's where public health experts are going to feel really comfortable where we might get a handle on the pandemic and still we're seeing a lot of vaccine hesitancy in a lot of different pockets of the country communities of color have been uh, hesitant although those numbers might be getting a little bit better but one of the other sections of the country Republican voters were seeing a hesitancy there I think a, a recent poll said that about one-third of a Republican said they definitely will not be getting the vaccine and there's a lot of stuff that plays into that so Dan, tell us a little bit about what we're seeing.
2: Well, I think one big issue is that many Republicans were convinced last year by the rhetoric of President Trump, by some other Republicans who were addressing the coronavirus crisis through a political lens, that coronavirus was overblown, that it was not the threat that public health experts were making it out to be. And some of that has stuck with the Republican voter Bates, who now being told that they should get the vaccine Don't want it, don't think it's needed, think that they've already made it through the worst of the pandemic. There are also many Republicans who simply don't trust the government. President Trump has worn down the reputations of people like Tony Fauci. Other Republicans on television news like Box have attacked the government response. So some of that plays in as well.
0: I know there's a lot of people that were even involved in Operation Warp Speed, other Republican analysts and pollsters that are also kind of confused about this, about why they wouldn't want to get it. We just heard new CDC guidance saying that, you know, if you're fully vaccinated, no more masks. You don't have to social distance with other people that have been vaccinated. So you would think all these things would be a draw for wanting to get the vaccine even more.
2: I do think there's a motivating factor in that the more people who have been vaccinated are encouraged to go back to normal life, to see their families, to go back to work, to do other things that we've had to give up for months, not a year, that that will get some of the holdouts over the hump and perhaps get them to go get vaccinated, even though they've turned down opportunities before.
0: And so what we're seeing now is that people are looking for credible messengers for Republican voters who might still be hesitant to taking the vaccine. There's already those types of efforts for communities of color, but attention is being focused on this. And I know, One of the pollsters, I think Frank Letts, one of the conservative pollsters you would talk to, is organizing some events so that they can try to get that messaging right. That's kind of the next step for them.
2: There's a focus group that's going to happen in a couple of days. Luntz, the longtime Republican pollster, is going to be convening still undecided Republicans on the vaccine. There will be some Republican politicians joining as well. The goal is to come up with messaging that can be used to win over people who are on the fence and figure out how to get them to finally come on board with the vaccination operation.
0: And who are those messengers going to be? Because, as you mentioned, President Trump was always touting how Operation Warp Speed was going and how quickly things were being developed as far as the vaccines go. But he never really said, go out and get the vaccine. It wasn't until CPAC uh, just a week or two ago that Trump first explicitly said, go get your shots. So kind of keeping in with that, if the former president isn't uh, hyping it up, isn't saying people should go get it, who are the effective messengers for these voters?
2: Well, I think they're still trying to figure that out, but there is a belief that doctors, local community leaders, perhaps religious leaders, those might be the best and most convincing figures, especially given if you're a holdout, uh, you've already heard national figures, politicians talk about coronavirus. But when someone is closer to you, that that person might be more convincing. And I know the Biden administration is doing research here as well, figuring out how to arm doctors, nurses, and other folks with messages to get, hold out Republicans on board with the vaccine.
0: How many people uh, would you say are in the camp of, they don't think that this rises to much more than a flu? Not necessarily calling it a hoax per se, but just that it, it isn't really something to be worried about.
2: Of the Republicans that I spoke to, and then the surveys that I read... It's a significant number of the holdout Republicans, but it's certainly not the majority. Many Republicans who don't want to get the vaccine are more worried about side effects. They're more worried about the risk of a fast vaccine, one that was developed only in a couple of months as opposed to the normal years. I should stress that scientists and public health experts do not believe that this vaccine is unsafe. They have put their own stamps of support behind it. But there are lots of Republicans who don't go along with that
0: as you mentioned earlier, as more people start getting the vaccine, they'll see that there really aren't that many serious side effects, let's say, and that it is being effective, it is working, it is safe. So maybe that hesitancy will go down with those people.
2: There's a real hope that the more people get vaccinated, the more the holdouts will see that the vaccine isn't unsafe, and rather that people are getting it, doing well, and hopefully not getting the coronavirus.
0: Dan Diamond, reporter at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having
0: me.
3: The president says that most of us will be vaccinated by the summer, which is is wonderful and means that there really is a light at the tunnel. But in the meantime, there's not much we can do to ameliorate the stress and the boredom.
0: Joining us now is Ellen Cushing, Special Projects Editor at The Atlantic. Thanks for joining us, Ellen. Thank
3: you for having me.
0: I came across your article, and uh, right away I sympathized with it. I felt like portions of that (laughs) were exactly my life, and I felt like that's a lot of people. So many people have gone through this pandemic, and it feels like we're nearing the end of it, but we might be just as confused as forgetful as ever. The top line of your story, we've been doing this for so long, we're forgetting how to be normal. And I totally agree Like on all aspects, from Zoom calls, transferring back to normal conversations with people in person seems weird. In your article, you notice how you're forgetting a lot of things. Ellen, tell me about uh, why you wrote this. And the big question, I guess, are we getting more forgetful as we're going through this, or are we just out of practice? So the
3: reason I wrote this story is that I really felt like something very bad was happening inside my brain and I I just selfishly wanted to figure it out. So I, I had the pleasure of talking to a bunch of experts. And what they told me is that it's a combination of things. We are indeed out of practice when, you know, our brains sort of think you can think of it like a closet, like things that you're not used to doing, such as, I don't know, going to a bar and talking to the bartender, you sort of put in deep storage while you're not using it and things that we have now had to learn to do like coughing into your elbow or wearing a mask or social distancing or sort of like at the top of the heap or the front of the closet so that's certainly part of it but the other thing is that we are living through a collective extended period of global trauma and that is really bad for your brain stress is really bad for your brain lack of exercise is really bad for your brain lack of novelty so commuting meeting new people going to events having sort of serendipitous moments like all of that stuff that we're not doing not doing that is really bad for your brain so that's part of it it's, it's just bad for cognitive ability
0: let's focus on that a little bit more there was a large share of americans that were reporting symptoms of anxiety disorder depressive disorder both you know it quadru- the new num- numbers quadrupled from 2019 to 2020 so we're seeing people, you know, stressed out, grief, boredom, depression. And one of the experts you talked to said we're basically all walking around with some mild cognitive impairment. This is bad for our brains right now, but obviously we can't help it. We're stuck in these cycles that we just keep going through because of, uh, of shutdowns and reopenings and all that.
3: You know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. A lot of Americans are getting vaccinated. The president says that most of us will be vaccinated by the summer, which is is wonderful and means that there really is a light at the tunnel. But in the meantime, there's not much we can do to ameliorate the stress and the boredom. That expert who said we're walking around with mild cognitive impairment did say that there are things you can do to help anything that introduces novelty. So cooking a new recipe or trying a new thing or doing a crossword, anything at all that introduces novelty, going to a different grocery store um, (laughs) helps. Well, you know, that sounds very bleak, but that's, you know, your novel experience for the week, but it helps going to a different part of town, whatever it is, anything that's new to you, to your brain does help but that's only a short-term solution. The long-term solution is getting everyone vaccinated.
0: You know, I just went to a restaurant for the first time in a long time and I was like so excited. I was like nervous. I was like fluttering around. My wife had to tell me, you know, calm down. Like this is just like it was before. And I was like, "I, I don't remember this. And it's just so true that, you know, we forget some of that stuff quickly. And you even made mention in the article, you know, humans forget and we forget pretty quickly. And we replace those things kind of out of necessity. But, once things start opening back up, we'll, we'll get back into it. That's kind of the hope for everybody, I think.
3: Certainly. Like, this is not a permanent state. Don't don't worry if you're feeling forgetful or just sort of like, you know, I got an email from someone yesterday that was like, I don't know how to put on my outside shoes. And it's, <laughs> that will come back, I promise. I promise that will come back.
0: Ellen Cushing, Special Projects Editor at The Atlantic. Thank you very much for joining us. was your daily dive.